This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Volume. The Colin Cowherd Podcast brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any fantasy sport, there is a contest for every fan. FanDuel. More ways to win. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Wednesday Morning Podcast. Bob Costas, 28 Emmys, will be joining us in about five minutes. As the start of baseball season, we thought he was a fitting guest. Some thoughts on baseball's opening day. Some of the sentimental folk out there think it's the right time to celebrate our national pastime. My favorite pastime, though, is pointing out what's wrong with sports and then offering my sage advice on how to fix it. Three ways baseball can improve. There's 927 different ways for time. We'll do three. Number one, eliminate the defensive shift. In other sports, we have areas on the field or court where players are not allowed to go for extended periods. Soccer and hockey, the goal crease. Football, the neutral zone. NBA, the three-second rule for defensive players. Major League Baseball should institute rules to limit the number of players on a given side of the field. More offense more base runners, more plays at the plate, more action. That leads me to my second fix. Lower the mound. Pitchers are bigger than ever. Go back to 1950. The average pitcher was six feet tall and 189 pounds. He's now closer to 6'3 or 6'4 and over 200. Bigger guy, meaning his release point closer to the plate. You have to do something to offset this change. And since you can't cut off a guy's feet, at least try lowering the mound. On the subject of shortening things, let's start with a season. Urgency makes everything better. The only urgency is finding out when to leave the stadium and beat the traffic. 162 games, really. Baseball is a warm weather game. We don't need it in April and we don't need it in November. Ever been plunked on the hands with a baseball on a wintry day? You know what I'm talking about. Make the season 120 games. End it the moment it gets chilly and get out of the way of the more popular sports like the NFL and college football. Now let's dig into baseball. Bob Costas now joins us, broadcaster for NBC Sports for nearly 40 years, 28 Emmys, now calls games for the Major League Baseball Network and serves as a contributor to CNN. So, you know, it's funny when you 
when you live in a city um, like Los Angeles, I tend to watch, when I lived in the Northeast, Bob, I watched a lot of Yankee baseball. It was kind of, I just turn it on throughout the summer and I'd listen. And now I live in Los Angeles. And I, I was looking at when the Dodgers acquired Trevor Bauer with Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, David Price, Julio Arias, and a lineup, a batting lineup that one through seven has power, I thought, is this a top five baseball team ever? Uh, it reminded me a little bit of the Conseco McGuire A's where Tony Phillips hit like ninth. If I say, I mean, now, again, they won last year. They add Trevor Bauer. And who knows how that works in the locker room? His, he could be a chemistry issue. But if I said to you empirically, the best baseball team you've ever seen roster position one to 25, what is it? Wow. If I'm going to confine that, to the teams I covered. So let's start in the 80s, really. Okay. When I'm at NBC and I'm doing the game of the week and that sort of thing. La Russa's A's, who only won one of the three yep. World Series that they were in, which lowers, at least to the casual fan, lowers their place in history. Same thing is true of the truly great Baltimore Oriole teams of the late 60s, early 70s under yep. Earl Weaver, win three in a row somehow lose to the Miracle Mets in 69, win in 70 against the Reds, are up three games to one against the Pirates in 71, and it slips away. Those two are two of the greatest teams I've ever seen. But I would have to say, if you just boil it down to achievement, you'd have to say that Tories Yankees of yeah. 96 through 2000 would be the team peaking in 98 when they won 114 and then just blew right through the postseason, they won 12 consecutive World Series games. Think about that. Maybe it was 14. <laughs> uh, no, it's 14 because they were down 0-2 to the Braves in 96 and a big underdog, and then they won the next four. Then in 98, they swept the Padres. That's eight. In 99, the Braves are back at it. Very good team. They swept them. That's 12. And then if I'm not mistaken, they win the first two games against the Mets in 2000, the Mets win game three, and then the Yankees win the next two to win it in five. So they win what? They win 16 out of 17 World Series games, including 14 in a row? I mean, I got to go with them. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I grew up uh, generationally with the Reds of 75, but what's interesting now, the bottom of the lineup had virtually not only no power, no hitters in Dave Concepcion and Cesar Geronimo, mm -hmm. The pitching staff was largely guys with junk outside of Don Gullet. Yes. I think it shows you, you, if you look now, who, by the way, was a great high school football player in Kentucky. If you look now at baseball and the quality of rosters. Now, there are, obviously, on some of the lower payroll teams, there's some junk. There's some borderline AAA stuff. But at the mm -hmm. highest end, I think the sport is fortified with the most talented players I've ever seen. I truly believe that. Am I off? I don't think you're far off. Uh, there is an abundance of great young talent. And there has never been more athleticism in baseball than there is now. You know, it sounds like a broken record. The problems in baseball are not problems of talent. They're problems of the game as an entertainment product. And I'm sure right. you've discussed that uh, at Infinitum on your own program. At what's good for analytics or what analytics tells you is good as an approach is not good for baseball as an entertainment product. But if you could right. just boil it down to highlights, there is no way that if you took 10 games from the 1960s, which is my childhood era of baseball, that will always mean something to me because of the way it hit me when I was that age. If you looked at just the highlights of 10 baseball games from the 60s and the highlights of 10 baseball games now, those highlights are going to be a lot more impressive now. And before we go on, the team we overlooked is one of those teams that never won it. But think of how good the Cleveland Indians were in the mid-1990s. Oh, God. Think of that Stacked. lineup in 1995. They only played 144 games because they started late at the back end of the strike that had blown out the end of the 94 season and took out part of the beginning of 95. They go 144. Jim Tomey, I think, is hitting sixth for them. Their lineup was just incredible. The young Manny Ramirez and Albert Bell and Kenny Lofton and Igniter at the top of the lineup. And Bayerga was an offensive force. And Vizquel was, other than Ozzie Smith, the best I've ever seen for an extended period 
at shortstop, but a little bit like your Cincinnati Reds, only so-so pitching-wise, but offensively, a powerhouse. Listen, I, I would contend, and you're more encyclopedic than me here, that the Mets, for a very brief time, and yes, they had some regrettable, unredeemable personal issues, but the <laughs> Keith Hernandez Mets mm-hmm. were a fascinating team of grinders, all-world talent. I mean, again, it, it, it's you weren't sure if some guys slept the previous night, but yep. in terms of raw talent, I think it's one of the one of the greatest baseball teams for a brief time I've ever seen. Yeah, and to a man, they will tell you that they still can't quite understand how they only won one World Series, and it took something of a miracle for them to win that one <laughs> against the Red Sox in 86. As another one of my parenthetical asides, I don't think there's ever been a better baseball postseason overall than 86. The Angels and the Red Sox and the ALCS the Mets and the Astros with a 16-inning game six in the NLCS, and then all the twists and the turns of that World Series. But you think about the Met team you're talking about. They went to the wire in 85 with Whitey Herzog's Cardinals, and again in 87. So the Cardinals go to the World Series in 85 and 87. The Mets win in 86, and they run into the Dodgers, and everybody thinks of the miracle with the Kirk Gibson home run, but it was – a smaller miracle for them to get past the Mets because during the season, the Mets were either 10 and one, or if they played 12 times, 11 and one against the Dodgers, they were heavily favored. And somehow the Dodgers won that in seven. The key was that they had Hershiser. Um, you know, Gibson home run is what everybody remembers, but every time Hershiser took the ball in that Cy Young season, especially in the last couple of months, they would have beaten the 27 Yankees. I and mean, it just didn't make any difference as long as he had the ball. By the way, here's an aside on Oral Hershiser. So in his prime, I worked at one point for the Padres AAA affiliate in Las Vegas. I didn't know Las that. Vegas. That's cool. Yeah, Las Vegas Stars. My first job out of college was doing an inning of play-by-play, doing laundry and selling ads, believe it or not. And <laughs> I was very, very lucky out of college. I always wanted to be a baseball announcer, and it just worked, you know, there just wasn't very many openings. Um, but it's interesting. So Hershiser is at his peak. And I want to go watch him pitch. So I call the Major League Club. I'm a AAA announcer. And I go, and uh, Gary Sheffield is playing uh, for the Padres. Mm-hmm. And Hershiser, it, it's almost like watching Clayton Kershaw a couple of years ago against the low payroll Padres. It right. looked like a dominant high school pitcher, you know, Bryce Harper hitting in Las Vegas at Bishop Gorman against kids throwing 78. <laughs> so Hershiser mows the Padres down. Gary Sheffield ends up with a double, hit a ball in the upper deck foul, hit two ropes to right field. And and I remember sitting there with a friend saying, does everybody understand how great Gary Sheffield is? Sheffield hit ropes for three or four at bats. I mean, Bob, he didn't swing and miss once. He was ahead of Hershiser. Hershiser was avoiding him. And, and I remember thinking, God, he... Hershiser was so overwhelming, and yet the the best hitter in that park kind of owned kind of owned Hershiser. And it, it goes back to something I've thought a lot about in baseball. I didn't see Bob Gibson. I mm-hmm. didn't see Sandy Koufax. Um, generationally, you may have seen a little bit of Koufax. Yeah, I did. Did you? Did you okay, so I, he's the only athlete. I saw Wilt in 72 because I'm 57. So I got the old Wilt, who was disinterested with a headband and marginally entertaining. But take me to Koufax, the only great athlete I've never seen. How dominant was he at his best? He only had two pitches, Colin, as you probably heard. A fastball, a rising fastball, which physicists will tell you is not possible. But to the eye, for a ball player, it was a rising fastball and a drop-off-the-table curveball. The kind of curveball, which also he could use as a changeup, uh, the kind of curveball that just froze hitters because they had to be looking for the fastball. And whatever that was, velocity wise, I'm sure it was in the high 90s at its best. It looked faster because comparatively, there weren't as many guys who threw that hard in that era. And of course, it was a different era. He took the ball after three days' rest every fourth day. And if they needed it, he took it on the third day. 
on two days rest, as he did and pitched a complete game shutout in game seven in 1965 against the Twins. The other thing he had going for him, and statistics just can't capture this, although if people who didn't see Koufax just look at his page and baseball reference, it was brief, but for a five-year stretch, he was just magnificent. But the thing about him was his presence. He was elegant. And I had this conversation with Vin Scully once, and Vin wouldn't go there because he was characteristically humble. But I said, of all the Dodgers that you covered over 67 years, I think the one you were best matched to was Koufax, because your elegance as a broadcaster matched his elegance as a pitcher. You know those hot takes you post on social media? Well, now you can win up to $5,000 when you put those takes to the test on FanDuel. It's a new game called Over Under, and it's absolutely free to play on FanDuel. Here's how it works. FanDuel will set lines on things like total points or three-pointers made during every NBA on TNT broadcast. All you have to do is pick over or under for every prop. Your picks could win you a share of $5,000 during every contest. FanDuel's the exclusive home for over-under, and it's available in all 50 states, so you can play from anywhere. All you have to do is go to fanduel.com slash over-under and sign up now if you have not done so already. You create a new FanDuel account if you don't already have one. It takes less than two minutes to sign up. Then put your takes to the test during every NBA on TNT broadcast at fanduel.com slash over-under. They can be worth up to $5,000. Age and location restrictions apply. See FanDuel.com for terms and conditions. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr. And I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So 
Listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I've always felt Dodger Stadium, this is so odd, reminds me of Johnny Carson's suits. You walk, they're not the hippest. When you walk into Dodger Stadium, Bob, it looks, remember Johnny Carson had, he had suits that were, you could buy a Johnny Carson suit. Yes. They were never cool. But my dad was always like, that's how you dress. And when you walk into Dodger Stadium, it's not lit. It's not cool. Um, it, it's nothing of today's, you know, kind of renaissance toward greater stadiums. But it is so purely baseball and it has mm-hmm. maintained a refined elegance that yes. I don't think there's a stadium or venue I've ever seen in America in any sport. I honestly feel when I walk into Dodger Stadium, it's 1978 with better food. No doubt about it. And they refurbished it uh, over the last few years, but it retains its essential character. And that vista, when you look out towards Chavez Ravine, is still beautiful, especially at, at twilight. Uh, it is the third oldest ballpark in the majors after Fenway and Wrigley. And actually, whatever is the fourth oldest is by now further removed from Dodger Stadium than Dodger Stadium is chronologically from Wrigley and from and from Fenway. But if you were a 20 year old person who walked into Dodger Stadium, you didn't know any of the history. You would be stunned to learn that it was built in 1962. It's just incredible. You know, Bob, it's funny because I I grew up. Um, I was a baseball fan. I wanted to be a baseball announcer. I grew up with Dave Niehaus. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, Ken Wilson, who went on to do some St. Louis Blues hockey. Um, mm-hmm. You know that town well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just I segued into other sports. Um, baseball, I just couldn't make a living at it. I could never get past AAA. And then at about 25 years old, I kind of moved into TV and all that stuff. It is interesting that I, ha- I have this conversation and I'm, I, you know, I kind of have my sports theories. Is that as basketball yes, I and soccer? That, I know you have your theories. <laughs> Most are nonsensical, but nonetheless, <laughs> um, if you look at baseball in America and basketball, um, the talent pool is so much greater, and they are very international. Mm-hmm. Football remains very domestic. It's a very linear product. I watch my high school player go to Ohio State. He plays four years. He goes to the Cleveland Browns. It's a very simple sport, and. Although baseball and basketball, the quality um, our hockey, the quality of the international players has so elevated, as we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. the quality of players. But it is more complex. And when, when Steve Jobs took over Apple for the second time, he went to his team and he said, this is too complicated for the consumer. I want four great products. And that football is simpler, more domestic, one game a week. And that the international, I'm a baseball guy at heart. That's what I want it to be. Football, though, gets a number. It's a simpler viewing consumer experience. And I don't know how to reconcile that, but that's why I talk 68% football, even though my heart as a kid was in baseball. I don't, I don't know what you do as a sport because I do mm-hmm. think international talent elevates everything. But, but. When a guy like me sits and lives for football, what's the answer to that? Or is it just an unsolvable issue that the NFL, like the English Premier League in Europe, is just going to get more talk? I'm going to differ with your theory in this respect. I don't think the almost entirely domestic rosters of football, as opposed to the international rosters, increasingly in basketball and certainly in hockey and, and baseball, I don't think that's the factor. I think the other factor which you mentioned is almost the entire thing, which is that football plays once a week, 16 games that count and soon to be 17. And every one of them counts for a lot. And most of the games, although increasingly they'll play on Monday nights and Thursday nights and whatever else, essentially the games are on Sunday. Uh, And at, at a time of the year when, Under normal circumstances, not COVID circumstances, people tend in most of the country to be at home, to be indoors. It gets dark earlier. They settle in for a Sunday of watching football. It televises extremely well 
Uh, it's segmented. It's not like a guy gets up at bat and hits a bunch of foul balls, first down, second down. Even if it doesn't result in a touchdown, there's something that happens. The drive either is concluded or it continues. You get the first down. Uh, the way it plays out on television, you can have a replay in between. It doesn't, therefore, it doesn't seem like it's a dead period of time. You're not watching uh, people huddle and then return or meander to the line of scrimmage. The clock ticks along. Uh, baseball it was always to baseball's advantage when it had the appropriate leisurely pace that there was no clock. Now there are some times when you say to yourself, my gosh, even if I'm a baseball fan, when is this going to end? Um, right. There are differences. There are differences that we don't need to stipulate. But when the Yankees and Pirates played game seven in 1960, the score of the game is 10 to nine. The game took two hours and 36 minutes, a nine inning game. The Yankees played Cleveland in an early playoff game this year. Final score, 10 to nine. Nine innings. I'm subtracting a short rain delay. There was like a half hour rain delay. I'm not factoring that in. That game took five hours or like four hours and 58 minutes. Same score. Now, granted, the commercials are longer and the eras are different. No one's saying you should go back 70 years, 60 years, I'm sorry, to 1960. But still, there has to be a happy medium between those two things. That hurts baseball a lot. Football owns television. Television bends over backwards for football. Football is able to accommodate cable while still maintaining its dominant presence on over-the-air TV. Baseball has become a regional sport on television. In a normal season, it does very, very well on the regional sports networks. But the baseball game of the week on Saturdays, when I was doing it with Tony Kubek and Vin and Joe were doing it on NBC, that would often get a double-digit rating on a Saturday afternoon. And World Series games got ratings consistently in the mid-20s, and when it got to game six or seven, in the 30s. Forgive me if I'm going on too long here, as I sometimes no. have a tendency to do. Ni 1986, the Mets and uh, Red Sox, which we were talking about before, what was to have been game seven got rained out on Sunday night. So the game is played on Monday night against Washington and the Giants on Monday night football. That football game got a single-digit rating, and the baseball game got like a 35 or a 36. Now, if you offered baseball a rating of 15 for almost any World Series game, we're not counting the Cubs, you know, breaking through for the first time since 1908. That was something out of the ordinary. But these days, sad to say, there are World Series games that get single-digit ratings. More recently, in the 90s, when the NBA was on NBC, and this isn't a hometown call. Same thing was true when they were on CBS in the 80s in the Bird Magic era, in the Jordan era, in the 90s. Those games were on a full-fledged network before television became as fractionalized as it is now. What basketball has done, and I'm sure it was financially the right decision to make, but essentially the NBA is a cable sport. And yep. even when you watch the games on ABC, as good as Mike Green is as a play-by-play -play man, you're thinking, well, this is the same thing I just saw on ESPN. It doesn't feel as big. Not Mike's fault. He's a terrific announcer. And there's never been a better studio show in American TV sports than Ernie Johnson, Shaq, Kenny Smith, and Charles Barkley on, on TBS. It's, it's fantastic. Or, or TNT, whichever it is. But because it's a cable sport, that's part of the reason when people talk about LeBron versus Jordan to the casual person, LeBron may be equally excellent. There's nowhere near he's remotely as impactful in popular culture. Little old ladies from Omaha who didn't know a pick and roll from a foul shot wanted to watch Michael Jordan. The promos for the games were on ER and David Letterman and Johnny Carson and the Today Show and Brokaw's newscasts and Seinfeld. It was central to what was going on. Now, football has been able to maintain that centrality, whereas hockey, basketball, and baseball on a national basis, not a local basis, but a national basis, they're essentially cable sports. Well, and I, and I also think um, as an offshoot to that, social media, we live in our phones. We're a more distracted nation. 
And the reality of one game a week is, yeah. it's just like you said, it's easier. We, we just, Bob, to give, you know, I, I'm married. I've got, you know, I watch my NFL stuff for my job. I can't give you Tuesday and Wednesday night. I, I, and I'm just, I'm mm-hmm. busier. And I, and I do think there's a simplicity and a, an urgency to football, to your point, that is significant. You know, you, you had brought up analytics earlier. My wife's a vegan, and I try to respectfully eat as many vegan meals as I can. You and I are in the same like. boat. We're in exactly the same boat. My wife is a vegan, totally gluten-free, and I try to go along with it. I know it's better for me, but there are some yes. times where I just have to say, hey, today— you stay here. If you don't want to go with me, I'm going to get a burger. <laughs> yes. Listen, I know I'm going to die sooner, and I would be cantankerous anyway, so the world doesn't lose anything. But in the <laughs> end, I want a piece of salmon. For God's sakes, I grew up on the coast of Washington. I want yes. fish. But it, but it leads me into analytics. I know it's smarter basketball, but aesthetically, it's now a three-point shooting contest. Yep. I know it's more efficient baseball. But there's fewer hits and less activity. How does a intellectual baseball fan, Bob, you reconcile the fact that a lot of analytics are bad optics? Baseball has yep. fewer hits. Could you, would you feel, I mean, not to dumb down baseball, but can we push back on some of the analytics? I've told NBA GMs, nobody can defend the corner three. Eliminate it. And therefore, you can defend the wing three at a higher percentage, and therefore mm-hmm. people will shoot mid-range jumpers. Well, there'll be more Chris Pauls and Kawhi Leonard's. Nobody can defend the corner three. So the three-point line should go into the bench about eight, six feet from the corner. And therefore, now you can defend Steph Curry. You can put a body on him. Now it's just open threes. You can't ask bigs to get to the corner. Is there analytically a place where you can push back in baseball and not be called a dullard? Push back in analytics. Well, I'm not trying to label myself as Nostradamus, but years and years ago, I said on the air, I've said it many times, what's good, what analytics tells us is good for gaining a winning edge is definitely not good for baseball as an entertainment product. And I think that that is now the consensus and the best evidence of that is that Theo Epstein has gone from building the Red Sox and the Cubs into baseball's front office, and his job is to try and reconcile these two things. His job, in effect, is to be Dr. Frankenstein, now telling the rest of the world how they can capture the monster and get him under control, the monster he helped to create. Uh, So they're talking about outlawing shifts and some of these things as you know, they're experimenting with at various levels of the minor leagues. You have to have at least two uh, defenders on either side of second base. Uh, perhaps you can't have a, uh, an infielder with his any part of his feet on uh, the outfield grass, have to be on the dirt. Um, there's talk of a 20-second pitch clock or whatever the number is. Maybe it's 18 seconds. They'll figure it out uh, with nobody on base, limiting how many times a guy can step out of the box. I think it would be very helpful if they eliminated all video except for replay of, of potentially reviewable calls, all video during the game. The players are screaming blue bloody murder. Uh, the reason they suspended it last year was that they were trying to deal with the aftermath of the Astros cheating uh, scandal. But so many players are reviewing video constantly during the course of the game. And all this information is in their heads. This is why guys step out of the batter's box constantly, even after taking ball one and nothing has happened. They step out of the batter's box and now they're reviewing. What's the difference now in my approach with the count one and oh, since that was ball one, instead of oh and one, since it wasn't called strike one? You know, this is not a chess match. This is not (laughs) Boris Spassky versus Bobby Fischer. For God's sake, let's get it going here. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, and then, and I, and I don't want to beat up on baseball because, but I, I do think my son. I took my son to a baseball game. I took him to every West Coast park, and I took him to Yankee Stadium. And my kids, I, I we go to a different baseball park every summer. Mm-hmm. And I remember my son a few years ago saying, "You know, Dad, I love you, and I really appreciate this, but not a lot goes on with baseball." Oh, and wow. he was like nine, ten, and I thought, God, this is an epiphany. Uh, and it was now it was a light hitting Padre team, and the Mets were no day at the park either. 
But it, it did strike me that, God, he's uh, he was starting to get into sports. And so I, I think what you're saying is speed it up. That's OK. All right. I got three final so, questions. They're right, broad. They're on different. Couple, one, one more sure. quick thing before you move on to that, just to, to solidify this point. In 2005, there were more than 1,300 more base hits in baseball yes. than strikeouts. That's not ancient history. That's 16 years ago. 1,300 more. The last two seasons, this trend has finally gotten to the point where there were more strikeouts than base hits. Think of what a sea change that is. That is, yes. a, you know, by degree, that's a fundamental change. And it, it isn't good for baseball as a product. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals, each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Three final questions. Here we go. Yep. Um, and if I'm too nosy, uh, you can bat me around. I'm not. A, OK, uh, listen. Um, and so I had read one time um, your, your father enjoyed occasional sports gambling and <laughs> more I than occasional. Vegas. <laughs> yeah. OK, so I grew up in Vegas, so I'm comfortable mm -hmm. with it. And I knew a lot of people who did it. Um, there was a time that uh, whether you considered it or not, many considered you a viable candidate to be the commissioner of baseball. Mm -hmm. I, I never saw you as a conciliatory personality, so I. I just didn't think you'd want to deal with crazed, loony billionaires, uh, you know, breathing down your throat. That was correct. But that, OK, that was my guess. So um, but if you had been commissioner today and I do think owners as a general rule, although wealthier, are a little more under control and there's fewer characters than there used to be, um, you'd have to deal with some gambling. Mm -hmm. how comfortable or let me ask this, what would make you uncomfortable as a commissioner of sports in the gold rush 
the increasing gold rush of gambling. What's okay and what's not to you? You know what I would be most uncomfortable with? Not so much the prospect of players or umpires throwing games, although you always have to be vigilant about that. But increasingly, sports seems to me, and maybe this is an old-timer's view, to becoming more and more transactional. If you can not only bet on a game, but with people looking at their phones and various ways you can tap into stuff, you have prop bets within a game. Um, You can probably have 15 different bets going besides the outcome of the game. That changes fundamentally how people view sports and how they become attached to teams or to a sport overall. Uh, Now, I don't know if that has a commercial impact. Maybe it has a positive commercial impact if enough people are hooked. But what I, I, I just think it, it further erodes the sweeter, if I don't sound too old-fashioned by saying that, the sweeter connection, the fondness that we used to feel about sports, and adds to the harder edge that makes it less appealing to many of us. I'd be concerned about that, but then I would also be concerned about at least the possibility that as, with gambling being out there and more and more people being involved in it, and more and more awareness of what the betting lines are, you know as well as I do, Colin, that every fan of a small market NBA team believes that the league is engineering the Lakers or the Bulls during the Jordan era. Right. Uh, always the and, and it, by the way, if that were the case, why have the Knicks sucked so bad for so long? <laughs> right? This has been my Washington D.C., Philadelphia, right. New York, L.A. That's, Clippers. All the wrong right. teams are winning. That's right. But the idea that any close game or any marginal call, even with replay, they are asked, every sport is asking for even more. When you combine social media with the irrational nature of many fans and now with gambling as something that the leagues have openly embraced, you, you are inviting, even if it's baseless, you're inviting all kinds of conspiracy talk and all kinds of complaints. And then on top of it, you always have the possibility that one person out of a thousand will will do. Um, I'm forgetting the name of the uh, of the official in the NBA uh, who ran Do- foul. Oh, uh, Tim Tim Donaghy. Yeah. So so under these circumstances, they have to be even more vigilant about that. And then then we come to something that's a side issue. But many of us uh, have thought about it. Look, uh, Pete Rose is no choir boy. And it wasn't confined to just gambling on baseball. But what sense does it make that guys who have used steroids, whose actual effect on baseball uh, was worse, are on the Hall of Fame ballot? It's likely that some are already in the Hall of Fame, that others will follow, that baseball embraces gambling, including on baseball games, although not by people involved in baseball, but still they openly embrace the public gambling on baseball. And Pete Rose, in his dotage, can't be on the Hall of Fame ballot. What harm would it do if he were inducted into the Hall of Fame based on his overwhelming baseball achievements? And if it said at the bottom of his plaque, along with all those accomplishments, banned from baseball in 1989 through whatever, for gambling. By the way, you may be interested in this. Everybody who's employed by Major League Baseball, and that includes me and everybody at the Major League Baseball Network, we all have to take a seminar. Uh, some of it's obvious, but at least MLB can say all of our employees have been told that not only can they not wager on any game, but they cannot share information. You know, if, if I was broadcasting an MLB Network showcase game and somebody found out that I told somebody that Max Scherzer has a tender elbow and he's going to start tonight, but he might not be himself. That would be a violation of that rule, and I would be subject to some kind of sanction. Second to last question. Mm. Serious and then something light at the end. Yeah. Almost like a dessert at the very end. Yeah. So Andrew Marshan and I got into an interesting discussion a couple of weeks ago. I I know my career. Listen, I know four or five years from now, I'm calling bingo games in Laughlin, Nevada. I'm not... (laughs) I'm not delusional. I'll be I'll be ridden out of my network. I get it. You you had you you basically called your own shot. That won't happen with me. It doesn't happen with most. Um, I, but I thought this was interesting. 
I think Chris Collinsworth is excellent, and I don't consider age an issue. And I was sort of befuddled when your former employer, NBC, went with Drew Brees. And I thought to myself, I don't think he's going to be an expert in curling. I don't buy the Olympic connection, and I don't care about his opinion about Badger football. I thought to myself, if I was Chris Collinsworth, I'd think I'm pretty good here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I just I didn't get it. I don't think the symbolism's great. You know NBC better than anybody I've ever met. Are you comfortable just explaining why they did it and what you make of it? Well, I was gone uh, at the time that those discussions and ultimately that agreement uh, took place. So I'm not privy to exactly what went on, but I'm guessing that their thought was, look, Drew Brees uh, is going to be in a, a hot commodity. We can use him with Tariko on Notre Dame games. We can use him in the studio. People will want to watch him. And if, if the team of Michaels and Collinsworth, as there's always a possibility, because what the NFL does, they always move things around. They've always got one little piece that, that's out there that's up for bid. And there always seems to be at least one network that doesn't quite have its situation settled. That's ESPN slash ABC at the moment. So is it possible that Michaels and Collinsworth, and I'm not saying this is the case, I'm not giving you any inside knowledge, it's just an obvious thing you can speculate about, that if Al does not want to have his career end with the next Super Bowl on NBC, and Tariko is his obvious successor, and he's very, very capable, if there's a package deal for Al and Chris someplace, then Tariko and Breeze would already have been a partnership that the uh, public would be familiar with, and they would have found their on-air chemistry, at least in theory, and they'd be able to step right in. Um, and if Al either retires or Al goes someplace else, but Chris wants to stay, then they've got to decide whether they want to keep Chris with Mike Tirico, which is what I would do, given what all the equity Chris has, and he hasn't lost anything uh, from his peak. Uh, or if they want to decide, well, you know, we don't want to pay all these salaries, um, Drew Bees can take care of that. Uh, it's it's often a, a cold business, no matter what, um, no matter what you have done. Uh, in the end, it is a business. Finally, a couple of months ago, it was a big Twitter event. It appeared you had finally started a Twitter account. Yeah. And to, to the chagrin of uh, people like me, it was untrue. And it was it was just a high tech imposter. Uh, mm -hmm. You have, in fact, said that uh, Twitter is basically <laughs> a high tech version of a bathroom wall. Is there is there any value? Not in your or home any... or mine, Colin, I, at a gas station, <laughs> you know, somewhere in Albuquerque. When, when you're just trying to get in and out of there as quickly as you possibly can, you can't miss the various scrawlings on the wall. Is there any social media worth embracing? Uh, is there is there any value? Like generationally, you don't need it. I have to be somewhat relevant uh, as yeah. I'm on the daily treadmill of sports talk. Is there any social media you're at least marginally attracted to? Not really. And as you said, it doesn't make sense for me. But I think it can make sense for some people if they use it judiciously, if they use it to put out information. Um, but I think if I just don't understand someone who is in any sense established wanting to engage with Joe Blow, who's coming from nowhere, uh, I just don't get that. I mean, people who know me know that I'm a perfectly friendly guy. You know, I'll talk at length with a cab driver or whoever sits down next to me on a plane or uh, if I'm not broadcasting the game and I'm at the game, the person that I'm, I'm good with all of that, but I don't understand the need to either argue with or be affirmed by people that are just out there. I'm not saying there there's their opinion is worth less than yours or mine, but I just don't understand spending much of your life with that. Uh, about 10 years ago, Al Michaels and I did a ball game. Uh, just because we're friends and we've never done a baseball game together. And he hasn't done a baseball game except for this one since 1995. And I said, why don't we just do a game together? I can get the baseball network to work that out. So we did a Met giant game in San Francisco and people responded to it very favorably. And so we descend from the booth and we walk down to the parking lot where the production truck is and the PR guy from 
the MLB network comes out of the trailer beaming. And he says, Twitter loved it. Twitter loved it. <laughs> and, and I didn't want to deflate the kid, but I said as gently as I could, you know, I've been at this long enough to know that it was good. And if it wasn't so good, I'm my own harshest critic. I don't need it. <laughs> I don't, I don't need, I don't need the critique because if, if there's a valid critique, I've thought of it already, or I've got people I know, respect and trust, they'll tell me. And if it was good, I don't need a thousand strangers to tell me what's for dinner. Let's get out of here. <laughs> By the way, speaking of dinner with Al Michaels. Yeah. Uh, I've, I, Al eats at the same corner booth in the same restaurant in yes, my neighborhood now. I just, I just moved to Brentwood. So Al's right around the corner. And he doesn't eat mm -hmm. vegetables. He's a very yep. interesting person. For as erudite as he is, he's got mm -hmm. a he's got a, a diet that is uh, fundamentally, um, well, if not flawed, unique. Yeah. Um, if you if you and Al Michaels go to dinner, what's Bob Costas order? Well, he makes fun of me because I will have the vegetables along with the salmon or the pasta. Uh, I've tried to get away. I love a good burger if it's really a top rank, a top 10 burger. But I'm, I've gotten away from the steak and potatoes. But Al is strictly that. You know, when he got elected to the broadcaster's wing of the Baseball Hall of Fame, and we talked about going up to Cooperstown together because our wives are close, and I started rattling off a few good restaurants in Cooperstown. And his first comment is, do they have gluten? <laughs> is, is Jill going to be able to eat there? Or will she have to eat gluten? You know, because he's, he's like contemptuous of the whole idea that you could eat healthy because he has defied his cardiologist, if he even has one, because he's lived into his late 70s, perfectly healthy, doing everything you're not supposed to do, at least at least in terms of his diet. Yeah, the irony would be Al's cardiologist has died and Al's still thriving <laughs> on the air. <laughs> That's right. Before we go, you know, something that I thought of earlier when you're talking about doing an inning of minor league ball in Las Vegas. One of my hopes, and it looks like it won't materialize. I'm in my late sixties now, but I thought after leaving NBC, one of the things I would do and COVID got in the way of this, I always wanted to do a season of minor league baseball in a good town with a good ballpark and a baseball history, Greenville, South Carolina, the Toledo mud hens, uh, Nashville or, or, or Knoxville, um, someplace like that. I'm, I'm leaving places out that have a, a nice ballpark and a nice little town. And I would just do the season on the radio and I would not allow any television because somebody was well-known was doing this. I wouldn't let them do features about me and I wouldn't steal a bunch of innings from whoever was the regular guy. You know, I'd do three innings or whatever. And I would just see if I could do it just for the sake of the craft of it and the appreciation of it and the kind of Bull Durham experience of it. And it looks like because of all the various circumstances that would have to come together for that to happen, that may never happen. And I'm not entitled to that many regrets as fortunate as I've been, but if it doesn't happen, that will be a regret of mine. But as I get older, it would be harder to you know, make those road trips on the buses and to fully embrace the experience as I perhaps once would have been able to. Yeah, I did AAA, the Pacific Coast League, and that's a fairly elegant league in terms of the spectrum of minor league baseball. Um, and I got to tell you, there were some, you know, there were some challenging moments doing a baseball game in August in a cement press box in Scottsdale, Arizona mm. is no way to is no way to live. But I will <laughs> tell you, um, I saw Jose Canseco. I saw Mark McGuire trying to play third and he was about as nimble as a batting cage. I saw Canseco. Um, when there were actually in the minor leagues rumors of steroids. I saw John Cruck as the best AAA hitter I've ever seen. Um, there were so many characters. It really felt like Bull Durham. There were so many, like, the best yeah. part about it, Bob, was these lifer baseball guys yeah. who had no shot, no shot at the bigs. And they went to the ballpark every night, and they and they rolled over catchers at the plate. And they had a deep abiding love for the sport. And it's about half the roster back when I did it. Now, now teams just, it's a more refined process. Yeah. But I, my memories of Las Vegas, my career started doing an inning to two of baseball with Ken Korak, now the voice of the A's, Paul yeah. Olden, 
really, mm-hmm. really Kent Durdevanis, who did some, you know, Major League Baseball. And I consider myself so in, incredibly lucky for the experiences. I had to talk. I mean, didn't have the Internet. I had to talk for hours about minor league baseball players, and I had a small media guide. And it's, I just think verbally it just enhanced any skills I had. It, it was a gift, actually, in my career. So. I'm, I'm sure it was. You know, Roger Kahn, legendary for having written The Boys of Summer, one of the greatest baseball books ever about the Brooklyn Dodgers of the 50s. He wrote a book more recently. He passed away about a year ago. He was in his 90s, I think. But he wrote a book, I don't know, maybe 25 years ago called Good Enough to Dream about a season in the New York Penn League. And that title summed it up. Most of those guys might not even make it to AAA, let alone the big leagues. But they were good enough to dream. And all of them were the best player on their high school team. No question. And they played, you know, they played in these idyllic ballparks. And it just captured what that slice of baseball is about. Um, I'm meandering here and, and musing. I remember once I had a speaking engagement in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I show up the night before the speaking engagement. I get off the plane and I'm being driven to the hotel and I see the lights of a ballpark. And I tell the cab driver, wait. I go to the hotel, I check in, I throw my bag in the room and I get back in the cab and take me to the ballpark. And I get to the ballpark and it's like the sixth inning. And the game winds up going 17 innings. And by the time it's over, I swear to God, I started counting the people, many of whom were the wives and girlfriends of the players who were left. And there were maybe 100 people left in the ballpark. But as I looked around, it was a nice night. There was a charm to that and a different pace and rhythm to it that is just hard to recapture. Well, you gave me more time than I deserve. Uh, you know, I cherish these moments. You were my idol growing up, and um, and that ages you, although I think generationally <laughs> we're pretty close. But I watched those Tony Kubat games on my mom's orange couch and uh, took notes and modeled my early career after you. And, of course, it went sideways by about 24 years old and has never recovered. But nonetheless, uh, I cherish these one or two times a year that we get to speak. And I just, I really appreciate it, Bob. I, I really had a lot of fun tonight. Thank you so much. Happy to be with you, Colin. Take care. Hope you enjoyed it. Bob Costas. Follow us at The Volume Sports on Twitter and Instagram. Rate, review, and subscribe. Hope you're enjoying this stuff. I am. See you soon. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.